Last Sunday, um, Pastor Jeff started speaking on, on his, um, on, um, what's the title it was? Um, finding your identity in him. That's what it was. And I sat there and I listened to him and uh, there was one point at the very beginning of it, he started talking about um, the first Adam and the second Adam and what happened in the Garden of Eden um, when man first sinned. And something dropped in my spirit and I wrote it down and I passed it to Romeo. Um, and what dropped in my spirit was that um, the enemy Underneath it all, the enemy did not tempt Adam and Eve to do anything else except to question the word of God. See, we've got the Bible today. And we can go back and we can look. But this was real time to Adam and Eve. There was no book for them to go to. There was nothing. So they were living this. And we can study and we can read the Bible and we can, you know, meditate on the words that are there. But they didn't have that. They were living real time and having fellowship with God. They were in the Garden of Eden and God was, the Bible tells us that God would come down in, in, you know, in the cool of the day and commune with them. I love how that sounds. Just, it just sounds so peaceful and like they're sitting by the brook and I was going to say drink tea, but <laughs> <laughs> having a sip of water and, you know, just chilling because that's the kind of relationship that they had. But it was real time. So even, even Adam couldn't just go back and be like, oh, what do we do in these circumstances? What does the Bible say that we do? There was none of that. They were actually living this. And I want us to look at Genesis chapter 3. But before we actually do that, I want us to pray um, before we start anything else. Father, we come to you this morning and we just thank you, Lord, that we have the opportunity that we can go into your word and we can study it. Father, we thank you that your presence is here and your word says, Lord, that the Holy Spirit will guide us into all truths. So today, Lord, we just ask that your Holy Spirit would reveal the truths that are there. Lord, let us find the, the treasures that are here within your word, and may it rest on our hearts, Lord, and not just rest on our hearts, but it would find root in our hearts, and that we would grow, we would learn from it, Lord, and that we would apply it to our lives to bring you glory. Amen. Right, so, summary of um, Genesis chapter 3. I remember I was in school, I was, um, I think I was in form 1 or 2, which would be year 7 or 8, I grew up in the Caribbean, so... We've got forms and not necessarily years. So um, we were doing something and we had to learn Genesis 3. So I could recite part of Genesis 3 like, you know, like calling my kid's name. Probably not so well, but. Um, and it says, now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. That gives you a picture, doesn't it? He's a very cunning one. And it tells us that 
um, the, the, the enemy came to Eve. Now, remember, God had said to Adam that you cannot eat anything of the tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of life, because if you eat of that, if any fruit of that tree, you will surely die. But in chapter 3, when they'd been in the garden, the serpent went to Eve. And he said, has God actually said that? Has God actually said that if you eat of that tree that you will die? Has he actually said you can't eat from the tree? And has he actually said if you eat from that tree, would you actually die? And then Eve... Recite, well, hello. Eve, <laughs> Eve recites what God had said to them. He said to us that if we eat of that tree, yes, we will surely die. If we eat of the fruit of the tree, we will surely die. And then the serpent says to Eve, You won't die. And then he gives her a reason why she wouldn't die. He says to her, Because God knows. That if you eat of the tree, your eyes will be open and you will become like him and you will know good from evil. See how he's twisted things there. Right. So remember we just, I, I, didn't, I didn't set off to um, necessarily continue from what Pastor Jeff was speaking about. But we will get there because <laughs> I got there. All right? So, in verse 6, you see, Eve, it says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, see, God didn't tell them that the tree was not good for food. God didn't tell them it wasn't good for food. He just said, don't eat of it. He didn't give them any reason. He just said, don't eat from it or you will die. She turned, after the enemy had spoken to her, she turned, looked at that tree and saw that the fruit was good for food. That it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise. She took of its fruit, eat, and also gave it to her husband and he ate. See, her focus changed from what God had said to what the enemy wanted her to see. Instead of seeing what God had said, see, we sing this um, little hymn, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of the earth will grow strangely dim. You see, you take your eyes off of Jesus. You take your eyes off of what God says. And the story becomes different. And what I want us to see is that when you start questioning the word of God, when you question what God says, you will start questioning, is what he said actually true? 
and it is he who he says he is. Because that's what Eve did. The enemy made her question if what God said was actually true. Because then in verse 6, we saw that she, she looked at the food and saw that it was good to eat. She looked at the food and saw it was good to eat. You question who God is, it means you question his sovereignty. Is he really God? You question his authority. Is he really all-powerful? And like I said, when I look at this message, it does. It ties into what Pastor Jeff spoke about last week, about knowing our identity in him and about knowing who we are in Christ. Why are you laughing at me? Why? (laughs) Yeah. And I want us to look at Exodus chapter 3. And in Exodus chapter 3, it tells us of an encounter between Moses and God. It was an encounter with a burning bush to begin with. Um, (laughs) You know when you read the Bible, you look at certain things and you think, did he just stand there and think, when you, like, so I was reading the New King James Version, and every time I read this, I think, it says, in verse, um, in verse 2, it says, And the angel of the Lord... Now, Moses is just carrying on. He's tending after his, father, his father-in-law's sheep. And he's just, oh, on my way, going. And he part, you know, he's like just walking along and going back to his father-in-law. And it says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of the bush. So he looked and behold, the bush burned with fire, but the bush was not consumed. And then verse 3 says, then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight. Why does this bush not burn? Honestly, (laughs) I don't know. I find that really like, whoa, did he just like, oh, I'll just go over and have a look and see why it doesn't burn. You know, but that, the, the Bible said he just like, yeah, I, I'm just going to have a look because it's fascinating. But God got his attention. God got his attention. So this is what chapter three is all about. It, you know, it's going through the story and how God called Moses to move from tending his father-in-law's sheep to start living out the call that God had on his life. Um, And he says, I want you to go to Pharaoh. And I want you to tell the king of Egypt to release my children from their captivity. And this is captivity that they have been in. Slavery for over 400 years. It's a long time. That's loads of generations of people. And Moses is like, who? Me? I'm sure a few of us would have been like, huh? <laughs> yeah, no. 
who am I? Who am I to tell Pharaoh to release people that are working for him? And, you know, who am I to do that? Don't forget, Moses at this time had a stutter. So he's already got preconceived ideas of how this conversation with Pharaoh is going to go. He's now thinking, I can't talk. So he's already discredited himself and saying, I'm not the man for the job. Because he thinks he's not eloquent enough. And then in verse 13... You know, there's, there's part of it where, where God says, when he comes and he starts giving all these excuses why he can't do it, God's just like, it's okay. I'm going to be there with you, Moses. You don't need to fret. I'm there. It's okay. And then in verse 13, it says, Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent you. Um, can I ask you if you can put the message translation of that verse for me, please. Because I really want us to have a look at how this has been translated in today's language. You see, we say the I am that I am, and we say it as if it's, we refer to God um, as the I am, but we refer to him in the third, you know, it's, it's I, it's a pronoun. Because it's the only way the English language can do it. But in, in this particular, this is God introducing himself. It's the very first time that God's introducing himself to his people as the I am. But it's not that he is the I am. He is, I am that I am. I am who I am. It is not. You see, in, when, you, when you look at there's a particular translation. When you look at it, it's got I dash, am dash, who dash, I dash, and it goes on. So it's not I am. It's not broken up. He's one word. He is I am who I am. He is I am. That's it. I am who I am. You go and you tell them, I am has sent you. And I wanted for us to establish this before we moved any further. Kind of about in a roundabout way, but I wanted to establish, I am who I am has sent you, has sent me. Moreover, God said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. 
Listen to this. This is my name forever. What name is that? I am who I am. This is my name forever. And this is my memorial to all generations. See, there's, that, there's, there it is. I am who I am. It's one phrase. He is, I am who I am. This is my name. Whenever you hear that, you will think of me. See, a memorial is something that is established to remind people of a person or an event. See, we've got the war memorial, the cenotaph. We've got um, the war memorial was actually named for people to remember the war, right? We hold memorial services. A memorial is something that's established so you can remember important people and important events. And what God is saying here is that that name, that I am, is important. And every time you hear, I am, you will remember me. Every future generation will remember that I am. That's what God's saying. And like I said, it's the first time that God introduced himself to his children as I am that I am. And you see, I am, when we think of it in our English language, I, pronoun, am, it suggests an, like an all-encompassing entity. It suggests that everything is found in him. See, all that we are as children of God is derived in him. Because we cannot be anything except it is found in him. You know, and this is just a by the way thing, the Jews, the Jews don't say that because they revere the name of God. It's like they would spell the name of God G-D because they, are, they think that God's name is so sacred that they don't want to call it that way. They don't want to call it that way. And as children of God, all that we are is found in him. You see, don't forget that before... The world ever existed, before the universe ever came into being, God was. The word tells us from age to age, he's still the same. Before anything ever happened, God was. I am. I am. Because God was. The world came into being. See, the world didn't come into being and then God came. He was before. And then you look at the life of Jesus when he was on earth. 
And all through the Old Testament, you see God proving himself to the children of Israel that he is. He is the I am. And then Jesus came and walked on the earth. And we see the phrase, I am, being used by him on numerous occasions. Why do you think that was? You see, a lot of the hierarchy in the church at that time didn't believe that Jesus was who he said he was. Nobody could use that phrase, I am. No one could use that, could use that phrase, I am. So Jesus was just reiterating to the Pharisees and the leaders of the church at that time that actually I am the one that was sent and I reflect and represent my Father in heaven. We see him saying in John 6, 35, he said, I am the bread of life. In John 8, 12, if you're taking notes, I'll go slowly because I do realize that sometimes I call these scriptures quite fast. Sorry. <laughs> in John 8, 12, it says... Yes, sorry. John 6:35, he says, "I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst." In John 10, he said, "I am the door." And he also said, "I am the good shepherd." In John 15, "I am the vine." In John 11, he says, "I am the resurrection and the life." In John 14, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And in John 8, <laughs> and Jesus was having one of his discussions with members of the hierarchy in the church. And they were, um, I'm just going to turn to this actually because it, it's hilarious. Yeah, I do. I read these stories and I read them in color. <laughs> so I do tend to think, whoa. Yeah. Um, oh, where is it? So in verse 54, Okay, verse 53. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who is dead, and the prophets are dead? Whom do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. In verse 56, he says, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, But you ain't 50 yet. You're not yet 50 years old, and you've seen Abraham. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. 
And that should kind of just <laughs> stop them in their tracks. Because you think you know. But guess what? You don't know. I know. I am. And all these things Jesus said so that we would know and recognize him for who he is. He is one with the Father and one with the Spirit. He is one with the Father and one with the Spirit. See, I've got um, my cousin, she goes to the Portsmouth congregation and she's got this little thing that she always says. She always says, um, I am who I am because of who he is. Okay, that's not me. It's good. <laughs> I, may, I went outside in, in the middle of the um, worship. I went outside just to make sure it was off because, yeah. But she always says, I am who I am because of who he is. So with all of that being said, I just want us to recognize that we can be nothing except through him. But also, that we must first believe who he is, and we must first believe that he is who he says he is, in order to believe who he says we are. So when God says, you are loved. We must first believe that he is love. If you read John, 1 John 4, it tells us. See, 1 John 4, 7, 8 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and anyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth God knoweth God, for God is love. And in 1 John 4:19, it says that we love because he first loved us. When he says that we are the righteousness of Christ... We must first believe that he is righteous and that he made us righteous. In 2 Corinthians 5, 21. <laughs> I need to get Stephen to read these things out for me. Uh, can't remember if I'd give this to Lyndon, actually. Maybe not. Yeah. 1 Corinthians 5 and 21 says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. When the Bible tells me that I am a son and I am an heir, then I must believe that he is my father to have that son relationship and that he is my king. In order for me to be an heir, I must, I must believe that he's my king. When the Bible tells me that I have everything that I need, then I must first believe that he is my Jehovah Jireh, the one who provides. 
and he provides according to his riches in glory. He doesn't just provide like, oh, well, you know, I can give you that. No, he provides according to his riches in glory. When the Bible tells me that I am more than a conqueror, then I must believe that he first has conquered death and the grave. You look at Romans 8, 37 and John 11 and 25. When my Bible tells me that I am healed, then I must first believe that he is my Jehovah Rapha, the one who heals. Exodus 15 Exodus 15 and 26 tells us. If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all of his statutes, I will put none of these diseases on you which I have brought in the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals. And in Isaiah 53, 5, it tells me that he was wounded for my transgressions, bruised for my iniquities. The chastisement of, of my peace was on him, and by his stripes I am healed. I cannot stand and live on anything unless I stand and live on the word which tells me who I am in Christ. That's where my identity is found, in the word of God. When I'm in trouble, I must believe that he is my hiding place. He is my strong tower, my stronghold, that he is my peace. When my world seems to be falling apart, that he is my solid rock. The firm foundation on which I stand That he is the chief cornerstone. When I'm hopeless, that he is my hope. When I'm distraught, that he is my comfort. See, when I feel alone, dejected, and overlooked, that he is the Elroye, the one who sees me. You see, God's got so many names that he's proven himself to be. He is the El Shaddai, the El Roy, the one who sees me. Listen, you are not overlooked. God sees you. Genesis 16, and this is the first time we've seen God being referred to as the El Roy. Genesis 16, verse 13 to 14. Now, in this story, Hagar had left home because... She felt that she was being mistreated by Sarah because we know the story there. Sarah hadn't yet conceived and even though she had put her hand in God's plan and gotten Hagar pregnant, she was like, well, you got to get her out of here because I ain't having that. So Hagar left home. <laughs> 
she felt like, listen, what is going on? And in verse 13, it says, Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. This, in, in verse 11 before that, an angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, Behold, you are with child, and, and you shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man, his hand shall be against every man, and every man's hand shall be against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. That's probably another... That, that. We, we won't look at that, we'd look at verse 13. And then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. For she said... Have I also here seen him who sees me? Never think that you are too far from under the sight of God because he sees you. And therefore, the well was called Be'er-la-Hai-Roi. Observe it. It is between Kadesh and Berit. So you see, Sarah has just introduced us to the God who sees. The one who sees me. In Hebrews 4 and 13, it says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before him. And what did David say? He said, listen, even if I go to the ends of the earth, if I, I could try everything to hide from your presence, God, can I? No, I can't. Because the El Roye is watching over you. So I, I was... I think Indian um, Romeo, because Karen was at work um, this week, and Indian Romeo kind of, I think they may be fed up hearing me chat about all of this right now, because I tend to preach around the house <laughs> when I've got to speak. So I walk around the house, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, I could find this new chapter, and I'm like, look at this, read this, how? And I get really excited. So, But I like words. I love words. My dominant love language is words of affirmation. So, you know, when my kids be like, hey, mama, I love you. I'm like, oh, you're so nice. And it makes me feel so good. And when people tell you nice things, it makes you feel really nice. But when I'm reading the Bible... And there are certain things you read and you're like, oh my goodness, is that how God feels about me? It is. That is how he feels about me. These are the things that he says about me. I feel like, yeah, I could take on the world now. Because he has. You see, God knows we need confidence sometimes, you know. We need the confidence, so, and he knows what you need when you need it. 
Which is why he has put these things and these promises in the Bible for us. See, the Bible has thousands of words of affirmation. Thousands of phrases of how God feels about us. So that's why I don't need validation from anywhere else. Because I get validation from the source. But I have to first believe that what he says is true. I must first believe that when he says he is God, that he is. Period. He is. And every time you start and you say, you start a sentence and you say, I am, I am, I am. You're either agreeing with God, with what God has says about you, with who he says you are, or when you say something that does not line up with his word, you're actually saying, well, I don't really believe what you just said. Because if God's saying to you that you are the righteousness of Christ and you're like, well, how could I be right? Honestly, you're basically saying, well, I don't, yeah, God, seriously, I really don't, I, I don't believe that. That's what we're saying. When we say things that don't line up with what he says, we're questioning we are, we, we're not saying amen to what he says. We are questioning how truthful God is. See, God is truth. And he cannot be anything but truth. You see, God isn't God because he is truth. God isn't God because he is love. God isn't God because he is good. You see, he is good, he is love, he is truth because he is God. So he cannot lie about who you are. He cannot lie about who I am, but I must first believe what he says. John 1.12 tells us that to those who receive him, those who believe in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. So when God tells me that I am a child of God, I believe him. When he says, I am a joint heir with Christ, in Romans 8.17 it tells me that if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. You see, sometimes, and it's so easy, there are certain sayings that we say all the time, and we will quote scriptures like, there's no tomorrow. But does it live in our heart? Do we understand who we are? 
because of who he is, I am who I am. God cannot be anything but good. And that means I am good. You might not think it. But it means I am good. It means you're good. You are a child of God. The Bible tells us that God, he is love. He cannot be anything but love. That means I am love. Because God is love. I, the Bible actually tells me I'm a saint. Now, it does not mean because something happened or you might think, oh, I did that and it wasn't. I'm so glad people can't see me doing my head like that. (laughs) But it doesn't change who you are in him. And the more we start seeing ourselves as, aren't you glad that God doesn't see us the way we see ourselves? Aren't you glad? Yeah, I am. I am so glad that God doesn't see me as I see myself sometimes. Because I'd be seriously curled up in a ball somewhere. But God does not see me the way I see myself. Guess what? God sees me as an overcomer. God sees me as more than a conqueror. God sees me as the righteousness of Christ. When God looks at me, guess what? He sees the cross before anything else. Because Christ has already died for me, making things okay with God. Who are you? Who are you? Who am I? I know we used to play that little that game. Who am I? <laughs> but who are you? Do you know who you are? There are loads, like loads of scriptures telling us who we are. The Bible tells me that I am justified and redeemed. Romans 3.24, it says, being freely justified by his grace through redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And even later in that chapter, Paul tells us, like there's, uh, in that book, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. How do you see yourself? How do we see each other? Because sometimes we don't see each other the way Christ sees us. 
So how do we see each other? It's only when we believe that God is who he says he is, then we will believe that we are who he says we are. It is when we believe that he is, I am that I am, we will start believing that we are. Because his word tells us that in him, we move. In him, we have our entire being. Let's pray. Father, today, may your thoughts about who we are line up with who you say we are in you. May we come to know who we are in you, who Christ has made us in you. May we know that we are forgiven, that we are the redeemed of the Lord. May we know that we are sons and daughters of the Most High King, because we have been adopted into your family. Lord, we thank you that you take delight in us and that your right hand sustains us. Father, may we know that we are strong in you, that we are blessed in our going and in our coming, that we are kept safe wherever we go by your right hand. Father, that we are more than conquerors, that we are overcomers in you. Father, we thank you that we are called and we are chosen and that our future is safe and secure in you. For your word tells us that you have great plans for us, plans to give us a secure future. And so today, Lord, we claim that and we stand on every word of affirmation that you've given to us. And we declare that surely goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives. If you're here this morning and you're thinking to yourself, well, I want to I be partaking of whatever it is that's got them so excited. You're probably thinking to yourself, I want to know for a fact that I am who God says I am. That I can be victorious. That I can be an overcomer. That I can be a con- more than a conqueror. That I am saved and sanctified and justified. If that's you this morning, I want to introduce my Jesus to you because he makes all things possible. I'd like you to repeat this prayer after me. It says, Father, I believe you. I believe who you are and I believe Jesus died so that I can have relationship with you. Help me to turn my focus 
from the things of this world and cast my gaze on you. Thank you for loving me, for forgiving me, and for everlasting life that I now have in you through Jesus. Amen. Now, if you've prayed that prayer sincerely and um, for the first time, I want you to put your hand up just so that we can signpost you. Thank you. I see that hand. We can signpost you um, to somebody who can help you along the way. Um, don't feel pressured. But you can have exactly the same thing that we have. See, Christ died so that we all can have relationship with him. Not just some, because the word tells us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever, whosoever will, whosoever will believe on his name would not perish, but would have everlasting life. Thank you.